0: Exodus chapter 33, while you find your place there, Jim said he wouldn't, didn't want to be too political, but I will be political. I might even be a little too political. I'm, I'm a million percent against these red flag laws. I, I mean, in every way, shape, fashion, and form. It's funny because the same political left that said that we could not put mentally ill people in mental health facilities because it would stigmatize them wants to empower a judge to be able to deprive somebody of a constitutional right, like Brother Fred said, based upon nothing but their, their you know, jurisprudential crystal ball gazing. Amen. And uh, that's dangerous. Amen. That's a dangerous thing. There was people made fun of uh, Vice President Pence because he said the Lord talked to him. You remember this? He said he has a conversation with the Lord and he talks to the Lord and the Lord talks to him. And they made fun of him and said he had mental health problems. How long's it going to be before they say it about you or me? And that's all they have to do is just say, I mean, listen, I, it don't take much. Amen. And all they have to do is say, well, you know, they're, they're a fanatical, fundamentalist Christian. And I guess I am. And uh, that's all they have to say before they can come and deprive you of your constitutional rights. And uh, I saw where uh, former Vice President Joe Biden said the other day, he said, you know, if you're going to take on the government, you're going to need more than an AK-47. Um, which, number one, why is that even in his head? Now, I'm not sure there's much in his head, but why Why was that even in his head to say that? And beyond that, I, I, I don't know. I, I would disagree with that. I think one person with an AK-47 would have a hard time taking on the government. Uh, I think several million people with them could probably put up a good showing. But even beyond that, and I do believe that's the reason for the Second Amendment, as plainly stated uh, in the Constitution, is to defend ourselves from a tyrannical government, which the uh, infant country had just got through doing. But beyond that, uh, are they going to show up? You've heard the saying before, you know, I carry a pistol because a cop's too heavy to fit in my pocket. Amen. Are they going to show up when somebody's breaking into your house in the middle of the night and defend you and your family against someone that means ill will to your family? So I'll be real political about it. I'm a million percent against it in every way, shape, fashion and form. People say, well, what about the mentally ill people? We've had mentally ill people for years and years and years. Uh, that is not what what causes these things. Now, listen, don't misunderstand me. Sadly, it is the case that sometimes somebody disturbed in some way or or their mind broken in some way will act out in a form of violence. That's very, very true. Uh, but this same standard that they want to apply in this, they don't want to apply in anything else. You know, uh, there's people that over, overdose on drugs, but they don't want to outlaw aspirin. But because somebody takes a gun and does something evil with it, they want to all of a sudden take your guns away from you. I'm against it. I'm every way, shape, fashion, and form against it. And uh, the Bible says in the book of Nehemiah that there's three things that a man is 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 commissioned to be willing to fight and uh, and defend with lethal force over, and that that's his country, that's his family, and that's his his house, his property, his things. Uh, God believes in individual property rights. Amen. I believe God, if God didn't believe in individual property rights, why did he say thou shalt not steal? Amen. So I believe we have a right to that. And I don't know if you feel any better after me saying it, but I feel pretty good about it. Exodus chapter 33. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 12. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. I'll be honest with you. I just have a few simple thoughts I want to share with you tonight out of this passage. And really, most of the message is going to be introduction as we just make our way towards a certain point in the text. Exodus chapter 33, verse number 12 says, Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? It is, not, is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for this opportunity to be together. I pray you'd bless your word. And bless your people through your word, Lord. There's not a thing in this building that doesn't belong to you. We are the sheep of your pastor. Uh, this place that we're sitting in, this comfortable sanctuary was paid for by the sacrifice of, of, of the labor of giving of your people because you had blessed them. Lord, we're preaching with your book, your Bible tonight, singing songs about you. Every bit of this belongs to you, Lord. And so we have confidence that as it is yours and you are always diligent, In seeing to your things and your matters, we trust that you will receive glory unto yourself and that you will work effectually tonight amongst your people. Uh, Help us to worship with this confidence, and we'll ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. I want to take a few moments tonight, and and really, to be honest, as I said, the message really just builds towards uh, the final point. I've got three points that I want to give you, and, and two of them sort of frame what's going on. But I want to preach to you on the matter of clarity tonight clarity. Uh, Because Moses asks for some things from God and God grants those things. But the way in which God grants them, how many of you know this is true? Very often God does not give us what we ask for and bless his name that he doesn't. Because if you're like me, I often ask for things that are not really what I need. God blesses Moses in this passage and he encourages Moses in this passage, but he does it in a way that Moses was not anticipating. And I want us to notice that together tonight. Let us say a word first off about the prophet's cry. Moses, of course, was a prophet. In fact, in pointing, in foreshadowing, in prophesying concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus, uh, the prophecy was given that a a prophet like unto Moses would be raised up. Moses was a prophet. He had a direct line from God. But in this passage, he doesn't sound like a prophet. To be honest, he sounds like a complainer. All along through this passage, it seems like Moses is looking for every reason that he can't serve God, every reason that he can't do what God's called him to do, every reason uh, that he's got a sorry situation, and every reason that he has, has been sort of put at a disadvantage. And it's summarized in what he says in verses 12 and 13. Notice what it says in verse number 12. Moses said unto the Lord, see thou sayest unto me, bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I notice that if he's saying, you said this, Lord, but I have a hard time believing it. He says, if if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. You know, when we look at Moses in this uh, chapter, it's easy to be critical. I've been, I guess, a little critical of him. But I think he's in a place, a mindset, a mind frame that we often find ourselves in. I noticed three things, basically, that he complained about. I, I jotted it down in my notes this way. Number one, let me notice that he felt the magnitude of his calling weighing heavy upon him. I jotted below that in italics. He felt the burden of leadership. He says in verse number 12, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people. Now, this is no small crowd. This is no small get-together or small gathering. Best estimates have put the number of the children of Israel at this stage in their history in over two million people. While we do not have a census count of them, there was enough of them that Egypt was scared that if there was a slave rebellion, they might overthrow the armies of Egypt. And when they go out to war to take them captive again, they send out every bit of the army and Pharaoh himself at the very head of it. This was a large group of people. Not only that, but every step along the way, they complained. <laughs> it is a sad, pitiful story of the children of Israel journeying through the wilderness because it was like they looked for things to complain about. Have you ever known anybody in your life that looked for things to complain about? I, they, they just walked through their whole life. I mean, you'd talk to them. And I've been guilty of saying this, by the way. I, so if you've said this, don't feel bad. The preacher said it sometimes, too. But people say, how's everything going? Well, good so far, I guess. Just waiting for things to fall apart. That's how the children of Israel were. And every time something went wrong, they looked at Moses. Because that's part of leadership. They looked at Moses and said, Moses, why would you drag us out here into the wilderness? Like they had done, forgot about the pillar of fire. Forgot about the pillar of smoke. Forgot about the ten plagues upon Egypt. Forgot about the the parting of the Red Sea. Forgot that God had brought them out here. And instead looked to Moses and said, Moses, why did you allow this to happen? And in this moment of time, as he is looking at the plan of God laid out in front of him, he feels heavily this magnitude of his calling. Now, let me say to you tonight, while there would be a very salient point of application that could be made to any preacher or pastor, I believe for all of us, there's times we feel inadequate for the calling of God upon our life. And there's not a one of you in this room that doesn't have a calling of God upon your life. It may not be a calling to full-time ministry, but every daddy in this room is called to be the head Uh, of his children and his wife. Every husband in this uh, room is called to be the head of their home. Every wife in this room is called to be a good example uh, both to their own children and raising them up and rearing them up. Or even if you don't have children, to other women that might be younger than you. We all have people looking at us. We have responsibilities to live right, to walk right, to do right, to be a faithful functioning part of a local New Testament church and to fill a role and to see the work and will of God performed in our life. And sometimes if we're not careful, we will allow the magnitude of that responsibility to loom large in our lives. And it is a great responsibility. And I'll say this as a husband, as a father, and I'll say it particularly to you men, because you probably know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's terrifying to think that those people are looking to you, <laughs> that you're making the decisions That it's your job, that that if you don't bring money home, there's there's nothing to eat. That if, if you don't make the right decisions in leading your family, things can all fall apart. And sometimes in the midst of that, life just gets heavy. And for Moses at this moment, life has gotten heavy. He felt the magnitude of his calling. Not only that, look at the next phrase in verse 12. He says, Thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. I said it this way. He felt the minuteness of his companions. Or we might say he felt the burden of loneliness. He said, there's no one to help me in this charge. There's no one that knows where I'm at. And that's really, by the way, what he's saying. You know how I know that? Because if you back up to just prior before we read, the Bible says in verse 11, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua. Now let's not forget about Joshua friend Joshua was with Moses every step of the way Moses was not alone uh, Moses had Aaron who was not a perfect man but indeed he was the man that God chose to be the first high priest over Israel he had his sister Miriam who did not always make the right decisions but indeed God had tasked with being a help and encouragement he had her the uh, the the friend of uh, of Aaron who uh, equally was a great man of God and was used to encourage he had his father in law uh, Jethro that Gave him great counsel and wisdom. He had a, 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 a council of 70 elders, of the children of Israel, to help take some of the burden off. And he had Joshua, the man that would be his successor. But in this moment, Moses has lost sight of all of that. And he says, God, who are you going to send with me? He understood that he had people around him. But I think this is really what he's getting at. He's saying they don't have the same responsibilities I have, nor do they understand completely what I'm going through. Loneliness is a great weapon of the devil. One of the, you know, a lion, and that's what he is, he's a roaring lion. One of the things a lion will try to do, he don't take on the whole herd. He tries to cut one from the rest. Because he knows if he can get one alone. This is why we need the church. We need a lot more than just the church, but we do need the church. Amen? If we've got the church but don't have the Lord in our lives, we're hopeless and helpless. But I'm saying there's a reason the Lord gave us the church. We need God's people. We need support, man. We need encouragement. I don't don't just mean people to call us when we're sick. I don't just mean people to check on us when something goes wrong, but knowing we have people that are praying for us, knowing that we have a support, people we can call up when everything falls apart, just knowing that we're not alone. Elijah was at his most despondent when he got alone. Moses, when he felt alone, felt heaviest the burdens of his responsibilities. And in this moment, he says, God, who are you going to send with me? Who are you going to send with me? He felt as though no one was up to the task because he felt as though no one could fully enter into the experiences that he had entered into. Uh, Sometimes, though we have many companions, we feel like none of them really understand what we're going through. And there may be some measure of truth to that. You know how the Lord has dealt with that? He's given us a high priest which is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, so that we might never say, no man cared for my soul. So that we might always be able to say, if all my friends misunderstand me, if nobody in my life understands me, the Lord understands me, and I am never truly alone. He promised He would never leave me nor forsake me. So the devil, he gets you feeling alone and he will, he will amplify that. And that's part of the reason when we, when we get alone or when we begin to feel alone, we start in with the pity party and we begin to wallow in it because that's the devil amplifying that feeling of loneliness. And then let me notice verse 13. He says this, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. I wrote it down this way. He felt the mystery of his course. He felt the burden of longing to understand the will of God in his life. He knew what to do. He just didn't know how to do it. He knew what to do. He just didn't know how to go about it or where to go to get it done. And in this moment, he says, Lord, I need to know your way. One of the most burdensome experiences, feelings of life is to feel at loss for knowing what the will of God is. I've said this so many times you could quote it back once once I started, I know. But one of the great burdens, the chief burden for Job through all of his suffering was that he couldn't find God and he couldn't figure God out. That's what he complained the most about. He didn't complain about the boils. He didn't complain about the sores. He didn't complain about the loss of his wealth. He didn't complain about uh, whatever rift or whatever uh, problem existed in his relationship with his wife. He did not complain about the loss of his children. What he complained about was that he couldn't find God in all of it. He felt like if he could find God, he could make sense out of all. Of it. He said, I go forward and he's not there. I go backwards and I can't find him. On the right hand where he doth work and he's not there. On the left hand, and behold, he's not there. He said, if I could find him, I would order my call before Him. I would pour out my complaint. Job said, I could bear all this if I could just figure out what God's doing. And in this moment, Moses is in much the same frame of mind. Lord, I'll do anything You want me to do, but You're going to have to guide me. You know, sometimes when we're seeking the will of God, it can be a matter of timing. We all want to know the whole will of God from the beginning. We want God to lay it out before us like an itinerary that we can sign off on, but rarely, rarely in life Will you have the will of God revealed to you to that extent? Most of the time, he'll give you the next couple steps. He'll give it to you on a need to know basis, not because he doesn't love you, not because he doesn't want you to know, but because you're like me. And if you knew everything, you'd try to get there in your own strength, in your own way, and you'd mess it up just like I would. Moses says, I need to know your way. And so the Lord replies back. Notice not only the prophets cry, but I want you to notice the presence of That was committed unto him. Verse 14, he said, the Lord said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give you rest. The first thing we notice is the comfort of God's presence in his life. It says, Moses, because I'm with you, you'll experience rest. Rest is a fascinating topic. It's a fascinating when you become a parent, it just becomes an abstract ideal. It's not just it's not a topic anymore, it's just. Kind of something you dream about, talk, talk together with your spouse about. Wouldn't it be good to get some rest, honey? Uh, you, pretty soon you kind of forget what rest is like, you know? Uh, I was sitting there yesterday, I, I, I had to go up, drive up in the country to preach somewhere last night and, and, uh, Leah and the boys had left to go do some shopping and the house was quiet and I didn't know what was wrong. <laughs> The boys are at that age, man, where they're just, they're, they're wide open, 90 miles an hour all the time. I don't know where they get the energy from, but, uh, when they left the house, I just sat there in the quiet and just sat there. I didn't do anything. I wasn't praying. I wasn't being spiritual. I was just sitting there listening to the quiet, trying to figure out just what was going on. That was rest. And it was so unfamiliar. I didn't even know how to deal with it anymore, you know? Um, Rest can become an abstract thing. What is it to rest? What is it to rest? Well, the New Testament definition as it relates theologically to the idea of spiritual truth is to cease from your own works. That's what the Hebrews writer said. Uh, He that is at rest has ceased from his own labor, ceased from his own works. Rest does not necessarily mean inactivity. In fact, sometimes being still can be the most exhausting thing that you've ever done. Rest does not mean uh, immobility. It does not mean doing nothing. Rest means to allow. And and by the way, the converse is true. There's people that will get on an airplane and and somehow find a way to fall asleep on those crazy things. And they're moving through the air at, at hundreds of miles an hour. Uh, they're they're moving. I mean, crossing oceans and yet they're asleep. They're resting. Rest is not about what we're doing, what we're not doing. It's about whether we have ceased from our own labors. And are allowing God to do for us what we cannot do uh, without him. To rest, and this is true spiritually, but it's true in every aspect of life. To rest is to let God accomplish the work that needs to be done. And so God looks at Moses and says, I'm going to go with you and you're going to experience rest. Because I, Moses, am going to lead these people. I'm going to feed these people. I'm going to clothe these people. I'm going to do what needs to be done. Now, Moses was busy. I, you wonder what they did those 40 years? Can I tell you what they did more than anything? They dug holes and had funerals. Because <laughs> that whole generation perished. I mean, you imagine in, in in 40 years for you know however many million people to die, they spent most of their time uh, digging graves and, and holding funerals. And there was a lot of hard work that Moses was engaged in. But the comfort came from knowing that God was with him all the while. When we have the presence of God in our life, we can rest in the midst of a busy season. We can rest in the midst of difficult trials because we understand that God is in control. Notice verse 15. He said unto him, Moses said this, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and my people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not? in that thou goest with us, so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now Moses is strengthening his case, which is interesting because God's already said he's going to go with him. But Moses uh, is, is is reaffirming why it is so vital to him. And he says, you know, God, if you're not with us, people aren't going to understand who we are and people aren't going to see us as different. People are not going, if, if you're expressed Visible, manifest presence doesn't go with us. The people won't have confidence to follow. And the armies won't melt away. And the, the the Canaanites won't be willing to make way for us. And they will not run in fear, recognizing us as the army of the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is this. If I don't have your presence, then how are people going to know that this is a God thing? Can I tell you something? We live much of our lives, I think, trying to situate ourselves out of needing God's presence and power. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I believe God expects us to make preparation. I believe God expects us to be diligent in our lives. And I think God expects us to be cautious and, and, and to be prudent. But understand that the life of a Christian is always going to be a life of faith. And it's, it is so designed so that people might uh, most visibly see the work of God in our lives. The reason God said, I'm going to go with you is not only because it'll give you rest, but it'll also give certification to my work in your life. People will know that God is in this thing. You know, sometimes the very things that we're begging God to change are the very things from which he gets the most glory out of our lives. You remember the Apostle Paul, uh, he prayed three times that God would take away that thorn. The Bible never tells us exactly what the thorn is, and I think that's the wisdom of the Holy Ghost, because your thorn might be different than his thorn or mine or, or whatever, and, and I need help just like he needed help. But three times he prayed and said, Lord, take this thing away from me. And God's answer was, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul then says this, I will therefore glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Stop and think about that. And I don't that's not the message I'm preaching tonight, although I wouldn't mind taking about 40 minutes and preaching it right now. That's not my message, but suffice it to say the grace that that was dispensed unto Paul was not a change in his circumstances. It was a change in his spirit and a change in his perspective, and understanding that the very thing that he was begging God to take away was the very thing that was giving God the most glory in his life. In the same way, Moses says, I wish I had a smoother path. I wish I had an easier task. God says, no, Moses. Uh, in fact, the, the very difficulty of this task, the magnitude of it, is the very thing that's going to make the nation stand back in awe and see that it's God at work in the nation of Israel. So we see the confirmation of his presence. Verse 17, the Lord said unto Moses, "I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken." This is why He says, "For thou hast found grace in my sight." And I love this next phrase. He says, "And I know thee by name." We see the compassion of His presence, the compassion. Uh, compassion is the willingness to be emotionally inconvenienced for the sake of another person. Uh, empathy is the the ability to feel what somebody else feels. Sympathy is the ability to feel bad for what somebody else is feeling. And compassion in sort of an all-encompassing way is the willingness to be emotionally inconvenienced for the sake of somebody else. You ever had somebody pour their heart out to you and you didn't care? And you wanted to care, but you just didn't care. You desired to sympathize with them. You long but at the end of the day, you just didn't care. Compassion is the willing. You're supposed to laugh there. That's all right. Yeah, I know I have. I know I have. There's time. You remember back in. in I'm going to say something political again. You remember back when Jeb Bush's campaign died in 2015 when he was when he was in that crowd and he said something and everybody just looked at him and he said, please clap. That's what I feel like sometimes. Please laugh. What's the matter with you? But uh, there's been times that I I hate to say it, and I wouldn't say who it is because it might be one of y'all and you get mad at me, but there's times you want to care. Compassion is that willingness to say, I, I don't necessarily have to feel what you feel. I don't necessarily have to, but I'm willing to. I'm going to be emotionally inconvenienced. God says, you know what, Moses? I know thee by name. What does he mean when he says that? That's obviously deeper than just what's said on the face of it. You know why? Because God knows everybody's name. So why did he tell Moses, I know thee by name? He's saying, Moses, I know everything about you. And in my going with you, I'm willing to bear what you're bearing. Now, notice something in verse number 18. I'm going to say these three things and then be done tonight. Moses asked for something from God. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy Glory. And we know what glory is. In a broad sense, it means honor or majesty. And I think as it relates to the person of God, what it means is that that eminence of his holiness and and, and and righteousness. Whenever God consecrated Solomon's temple, the Bible says that the glory of God filled the house so much that the priests could not minister. So uh we think about the transfiguration of Christ. He was revealed in his glory. It, we would identify it with the idea of a great shining light, of a great filling of an area or room with a with a light above, as Paul says in the book of Acts, above the brightness of the noonday sun. That's what we would think about. And I think that's what Moses was asking for. Lord, I want to see your glory. I, I want to see all that you are. I want to see everything. I want to see the, the the limit of your strength. I want to see the farthest reaches of your wisdom. Lord, I just, go ahead and just show me how wonderful and glorious you are. Does God do that? He doesn't. In fact, there's three things that Moses sort of asks for in this passage. And while God gives Moses what he needs, he does not give him what he asked for. God says in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, don't just read past your Bible. Read your Bible. Moses said, I want to see your glory. God doesn't literally say no. But what he answers back is different than what Moses asked for. I wrote it down this way. Moses asked to see his glory. But he needed to see his goodness. He said, I want to see your glory. God says, no, but I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, my character, my nature, my personality, my identity. And then he prefaces that or he qualifies that by revealing something about his sovereignty. He says, will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You know, very often in our lives, we feel like we need God to show up in a big way. And very often, it would be quite convenient if He would. Most of the time, when I'm praying and asking God to do something, my, my, just my, the way I like it to be done, personal preference is for God to split the heavens and ride down on a white horse and slay my enemies and fill my bank account and, you know, uh, abolish my sickness, head cold, whatever I'm dealing with and straighten out all the people that need to be, that's how I'd prefer God to do it. You know, he ain't never done that. It's just simply not how God works. Now, there's coming a day. Of course, he's coming back on a white horse. Thank God. Amen. We do believe that around here. He's coming back. Amen. He's coming back for the church. And then he's coming back in glory. Amen. But, you know, I'd prefer God to do it in that dramatic a fashion. If I was to ask, I'd ask God to show me his glory. I wouldn't ask him to show me his goodness. But most of the time when I'm where Moses is, what I need is not His glory. You know why? Because His glory might, might awe me. It might give me wonder. But it would not give me comfort. And it would not give me perspective. This, I guess, would be, I didn't say this, but we, we looked at the prophet's cry and the presence committed. But notice the provided clarity that Moses needed. Sometimes you think you need God to show up in a big way when what you really need is to be reminded of how God has shown up in a million little ways. You need to be shown His goodness. You think you need His glory. You think you need Him to ride in and lay low all your enemies. But what you really need to do is be reminded that God don't owe you or me anything. He shows mercy upon whom He uh, will show mercy. Uh, He's gracious to whom He will be gracious. And guess what? He's been gracious to us. He's been merciful to us. I'm saying this, that uh, sometimes we think we need God in it to, to be very dramatic in our lives. And he has the ability when he wants to. But most of the time, the thing that has bred a complaintive spirit within us and Moses's spirit and attitude is complaintive here is a lack of an awareness of the innate goodness of God in our lives. He, he wanted to see his glory. He asked to see his glory. What he needed was to see his goodness. Look at verse 20. The Lord said, thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. Look down at verse number 23. God says, I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Moses asked to see his face. What is meant there? I think it means Moses is saying, I want to understand more of who you are. Now, it says earlier in verse number 11 that the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. So familiarity here is not what's being implied because it's already said God speaks to him face to face. Moses is not saying, I want to be more familiar with you, Lord. He's saying, I want to see you in a way that nobody gets to see. He's saying, I I want to see the features upon your face. I I want your countenance to look upon me. We might say it this way. He wanted to see the intelligence, the wisdom, the plan, the design in God's face and personality. I think what he's asking for here is to understand who God is. He's wanting to know who God is. God says, no, Moses, no. Instead, I'm going to pass by and you're not going to see my face, but you're going to see my back parts. He says, no man shall see my face and live. In other words, if you really knew me the way that I am, if you really saw me in the fullness of who I am, it would kill you. But he says, you can see my back parts. Now, what are you seeing? We're not going to get graphic here. Don't nobody get worried. But what are you seeing when you're seeing someone's back parts? You're watching them walk away, right? So you're not seeing where they're headed to. You're seeing where they've been. You're watching them walk away. I said it this way. He asked to see his face, but he needed to see his footsteps. He wanted to understand everything about who God is. But what he really needed was simply to recognize that God had been there in the first place. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, we think we need to figure everything about God out. And what we really need is to be reminded that even if we can't figure him out, that don't mean he's not there. That doesn't mean that his footsteps are not right in front of us. That doesn't mean he's not present in our lives. You look at the book of Job. and I love the book of Job. Weird thing to say, but I do. I love it. I love how it how it unpacks and unfolds and unveils the true nature of human suffering and reveals some important things to us. You know, Job's big thing, as we said earlier, was he couldn't find God. He couldn't figure out God. And uh, for 30-something chapters, him and his friends sit around talking about who God is and why God's doing what he's doing. And whenever God shows up, he spends several chapters describing to Job all the things that he does in creation and in nature. You know something that God never tells Job? He never tells Job why Job went through what he went through. Never once does he say, Job, (laughs) surprise, candid camera, Job... You didn't know this, but there was a conversation in heaven and and the devil showed up and he was bragging and and I committed you to this. And he never finds out any of that. He doesn't find out that this has all been something setting forth and proving and testifying of Job's righteousness. He doesn't understand the great great, uh, uh, pride and the great uh, sense of, of honor that God had invested in him uh, whenever he had said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Job darn all, has never figured any of that out. Now, it's in your Bible, but it could have got there any number of ways. The Holy Ghost, uh no doubt, inspired whoever it was, pinned it down. He didn't have to tell it to Job. And uh we know that at least the last verse or two of the book of Job, Job didn't write because it describes and details and records his death. When God shows up, he doesn't say, Job, this is why you've been going through what you've been going through. Instead, he shows up and says, You know, Job, I'm the one that feeds the animals. You know, Job, I'm the one that keeps the planets in their course. Job, you know I, I you know, that I'm the one that, that if I wanted to, I could take the most vicious and, and terrifying of beasts and, and pluck them out of the sea like a goldfish. And, and Job, you understand that, that I've been from eternity past. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Job, look around and see my footsteps. And recognize that I'm here, I'm present in your life. Let me give you one more and I'm done. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. I could I I could spend hours just preaching, talking about that, how it reminds us of Christ and pictures what God's done for us in in the process or in the the event, in the reality of justification might be a better word than process. But I just want to notice this simple thought. Moses is asking here for an increase in power, saying, Lord, I need power to do this. I need strength. I need you to enable me. I need you to equip me for this great task that you've called me to. You've called me to do a big thing, God, now I need you to help me in a big way. And instead, what does God do? He doesn't uh, imbue uh, Moses with great power. He does not uh, give to him some great, deep, abiding spiritual strength. Instead, he takes Job and he puts him inside a cliff of the rock, a hollow place in the rock, and he puts his hand over Job. Now, this was obviously, and I, by the way, I believe it was literal. Don't misunderstand me. I believe God literally did exactly what the book of Exodus says here. But it is obviously symbolic in nature as well. It obviously looks past merely that physical action and reminds us of many, many great truths. Christ, of course, is the rock that followed them in the wilderness. I believe you want my opinion. I believe he was the rock here and, and it's a picture of how we're placed in Christ. But suffice it to say, there's no more intimate of a position. There's, there's no closer you can get than to be in something, than to be in something. Uh, When we think about God indwelling us as people, how close does God want to be uh, to us? So close that He indwells us by the Holy Spirit. And here we have, fascinatingly, almost an opposite effect where Moses is placed inside this rock. I, I, I jotted it down this way. He asked for an increase in power, but what he needed was an intimate proximity to God. In other words, sometimes we think we need to get stronger. When in fact, what we simply need is to get closer. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not fussing. I'm not criticizing. I'm not saying you ain't close to God. I'm just saying that you can always be closer to God. And I'm saying that instead of feeling like as though the greatest thing uh, or what we need. Let me say it that way, because the greatest thing probably would be if you'd never have to face another giant, for you to never have to face any of these things. Uh, but it wouldn't it would not perfect you into the image of Christ the way that the will and plan of God and the path of God will. And so what's most necessary for us? It's not for God to ride in and slay all of our enemies, but rather that through these sufferings, through these trials, through these, these seasons like what He's going through, that we might be drawn closer, that we might have a greater awareness of His goodness, a greater perceptiveness of His footsteps, a greater proximity to His presence. What do we need in these seasons? We need to try to draw nigh unto Him. That's where strength comes from, isn't it? His strength, we say, preacher, I'm so weak. Well, his strength is made perfect in weakness. In fact, sometimes the psalmist said he weakened my strength. Sometimes he will intentionally make you weak so that he can show himself strong. He's not doing it so that you will experience weakness. He's doing it so you'll experience strength. Just not your strength, his strength. And I think sometimes what we need more than anything is just a little bit of clarity in our lives. Sometimes the things we think we need is not what we need. But I'll tell you this, what we always need is to draw closer unto Him, to gain more strength from Him. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. The altar is open tonight. If the Lord has dealt with your heart in some way, I, I want you to feel liberty. And, and uh, if the Lord's dealt with you, I want to feel, you to feel compelled to deal with Him. You ought to. He's your Lord and Master. If He dealt with you, you ought to obey Him, make a move towards Him tonight. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify Your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name with our heads bowed.